Well, today um, we have a very brief time before us, so I picked what I hope will be a fairly small section of the book of Luke that we are working through, Luke chapter 17, verse 1. You know, uh, our brother this morning in the afternoon meeting was talking about, or the morning meeting was talking about how there's certain verses that he would like to personally speaking, edit out of the scripture. Because we don't like to hear bad news, we don't like to be challenged. And then again, at lunch, he, he, he said something to the effect of that his gift is to afflict the comfortable um, rather than comforting the afflicted. But it is kind of interesting that Jesus had the same approach because for the afflicted he had comfort. And for the comfortable, he did indeed have affliction. And so we're going to see some of that today. And I hope that as we see that, that we will also be encouraged. Then said he unto his disciples, verse 1, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto them through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. There's a lot of things that this could mean, but I think primarily what Jesus is talking about here is false teachers. He told the Pharisees, that one of their problems was that they were inflicting burdens upon the people of Israel that even they themselves could not bear. And so, what he's saying here to the disciples, he's like, if, he's like, bad things will happen, afflictions will come. Offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. This verse comforts me when I think about the false teachings going on today. It's strange that that would be a comfort. But I know that God has it covered and that he is going to deal with all these false teachers. They will face him and they will have to give an account for the false teachings that they gave. That's why Paul was so deliberate about his teachings. He said, if any man teaches you another gospel than the one we've preached, let him be accursed. Why? Not because Paul was so great, but because the gospel that he preached, he got from the living Christ. He met Jesus face to face on the road to Emmaus. Then Jesus took him out to the desert. And spent about three years with him, teaching him directly. And then he was stoned, and many people believe that he went to heaven. He seems to indicate that in the passage, in a certain passage of scripture, that he went to heaven and he came back. But unlike this burst of uh, bestsellers that are out there today, and this is why I look at them with caution, because what did Paul say? 
when he came back. He said, I can't even talk about what I saw. The only thing I can tell you is that it's greater than anything you've ever known about. But I can't talk about it because it's that great. Um, so let's look at Romans chapter 14, verses 20 and 21. Romans 14, just to give us a cross-reference on this issue. Romans 14, verses 20 and 21. If someone gets there, if they could read it for us. For me, destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Alright, so this does not necessarily speak directly to false teaching, but it does speak to our responsibility within the church to do things for with other people in mind. Remember we considered this morning, and I just think it's a, a real God thing that these things fit together, but we considered this morning, what did, what did he say, what did our brother say? He said, let each esteem other better than themselves. And often when we say, well, can a Christian do this? That's our, that's our standard question. Is it okay for a Christian to do such and such? There's nothing intrinsically wrong with that question, but I do think it's it's kind of a question flipped on its side, if you will, because it's the wrong focus. Instead of saying, should a Christian do this, my question to myself and to you is, what should a Christian be doing? And chances are, if there's a question about whether you should be doing it, it's because God is pricking you about whether you should indeed. So, just a word. Again, that we will be called into account if we cause our brothers to stumble. Now, obviously, we don't always do that intentionally. But we need to make sure that we are uh, being careful to do all we can to make sure that doesn't happen. One particular issue where I, I try to do this, and um, I don't want to sound overly uh, spiritual, because it's not necessarily this, this grand stand that I have made, but one of the things I think about is a reason that I don't drink, is because if I started drinking, even socially, someone who would struggle with it might think that it's okay. Also, as a minister of the gospel, I'm not to be given to wine. And I don't know how much wine or alcoholic drink would make me drunk, and I don't intend to find out. Because the Bible says that I should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. Does that mean that I'm telling you you can't drink? No. But what I am saying is, the question should not necessarily be, can I drink? But what should I be doing? And if we turn that question around, I think we will help ourselves and others. 
Alright, as we move through our outline, we first talked about Jesus' warning to false teachers. Next, we're going to talk about Jesus on forgiveness. And if anybody should know about forgiveness, it's Jesus. Because he would later say, and we'll get to it probably, he would later say on the Roman cross, hanging there for our sins, hanging there in anguish and pain, you know, I, I don't understand how Jesus could say all the things that he said on the cross. Because if you crucified me today, the only thing I would be doing is crying out in pain and asking God to help me endure. I'm scared to death to be a martyr for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that I will have the strength to do it if that's what it calls for. But today I can tell you I'm scared to death of that. So, the last thing I would be doing is asking for forgiveness for those around me in my human strength. But Jesus was not human. He was divine. And those seven sayings that he cried out on the cross, they all had significance. It amazes me that he was concerned about the personal well-being of his mother. He realized his responsibility as an oldest earthly son. He knew that he was leaving, and even though he was going to rise again, he knew that he would never be functioning as her son again. And so he told John to take his mother into his home. And he told his mother to go with John. And things of that nature. But here's what he says in Luke chapter 17. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother trespass against you, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Now, I think this is a good verse to remember because often we think, well, uh, Jesus said to forgive 70 times 7, so I should forgive a lot. But we still like to have a number in mind. And this verse, plain and simple, says, if he offends you seven times in one day, still forgive. I almost think that this verse should be a part of a marriage ceremony. Because we need to realize that the key to having successful marriages is to esteem others better than ourselves. And to forgive over and over and over again. I've watched my parents model this. They're not perfect, they make mistakes. They have disagreements with one another, sometimes harsh ones, but there's always forgiveness. And sometimes, possibly close to seven times in one day, because we as humans are foolish. We make the same mistakes over and over and over again. It's amazing how we can rejoice in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ for ourselves. But when we look at other people and their offenses toward us, we don't exercise the same forgiveness. And I know I'm as guilty as the next guy. Maybe even more so.
So take heed to yourself if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day, in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. How many times a day do we turn to God for repentance? How many times a day do we cry out to Him because we made a mistake? Or we spit in His face by something we did or something we said? So how much more should we be doing this among our families and to the world? You realize what this would do? I mean, talk about revitalizing our culture. Our culture says, I'm number one. I'm the one that matters. God says, put others first. There would be so much peace and harmony in Holland, Michigan today if we would put others first. There'd be no reason for these school shootings if we put others first. Black Lives Matter would not be an issue because we would realize if we put others first that all lives matter. You know, the thing that grieves me the most about the whole Black Lives Matter thing is the same people who will say that black lives need to matter, that we need to stop this racism. And there is racism. Believe you me, I agree wholeheartedly that there is. But they don't realize that 35 to 40% of all abortions are done on African American babies. The reason Margaret Sanger started Planned Parenthood was for the annihilation of any race be it Hispanic, be it African American, who was different from the pure white race that she thought she was. That was her purpose in the beginning. We're not going to get things right until we realize that every life matters. And I know people get frustrated when we say that because they say, well, you're just diminishing what's going on. No, I'm going to the foundation of what's going on. I posted a meme on Facebook, and a meme is like a little poster, and it said, America will never be great again until we put God first. And one of my, one of my friends on Facebook said, we need to stop beating a dead horse when it comes to bringing God back to America. And I said, I don't beat a dead horse. I preach a living God. I preach a living God who can breathe life into any nation. He says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So don't tell me America can't be great again. Alexis de Tocqueville said, America is great because America is good, and if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. And he went on to say that America was good because of the fire of truth that was coming forth from its pulpits. Oh, that we would live in that America again. 
We may be headed for the end of America, and I know that if it ends, God is still on the throne. But as long as I am here in the United States of America, I'm not giving up. Because God is the hope for any nation or individual. Jesus paid it all for everyone. We can look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. As a cross-reference, just a little bit more on forgiveness. Colossians 3, 12 and 13. Three, twelve, and 13. What I am therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, always in mercy, kindness, humbleness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man had a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgive you, so also do ye. In this passage of Colossians chapter 3, and maybe one day he will go there as a chapter, we see all these things that God wants his people to put off. In the beginning of that chapter, it's all about put off, put off, put off. And often when we're talking about dealing with sin, that's what we focus on. We're like, you need to get out of your old ways. You need to put them aside. But that's why Jesus then says, put on. And you heard that list that our brother just read. Bottles of mercies, kindness, forgiveness. All that stuff is to put on in place. Because if you put off your sin, there's going to be a vacuum that needs to be filled. And if you don't fill it with something good, greater sin will knock at your door. Jesus talks about the, the demon that leaves a man and the man sweeps clean, but he leaves the house empty. And the demon comes back with his friends. So we need to be putting on as we take off. We need to be praying for renewal in the inner man, even as the outer man perishes every day. You see, I used to struggle with my outer man. And as I told you in the intro, I still do sometimes. But I realize that being strong in the inner man is the most important. That I will never run a four minute mile, I'll never be a Navy SEAL. But I'm a soldier in the army of the living God, and that is more important. Not a perfect soldier, mind you, but a soldier. All right, so our third section here is Jesus is going to teach on how to increase our faith. Luke 17, 5 and 6. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamore tree, Be thou plucked up by the roots, and be thou planted in the sea, and it shall obey you. Now, we need to be very careful as we look at this because Jesus is not saying that we can walk through the streets of Holland and ask trees to move and they're just going to get up 
and do what we say. If we had that kind of power, chaos would most likely ensue. There'd be a lot of angry drivers um, as trees uh, move themselves from the side of the road into the middle of the street. Everything has to be done decently and in order. You know, I know there are certain factions of, I shouldn't use the word faction, certain groups within the church, and I believe many of these people are true believers, but I've heard certain among us command God to do things. My friends, I don't have the right to command God to do anything. I can ask him. And he says that if we ask according to his will, he heareth us. And he will answer the prayers. And sometimes it's yes, and sometimes it's no, and sometimes you're in a holding pattern, and he says, wait. Wait on me. I feel like I've been there a lot lately. Wait. But Lord, I I don't want to wait. He says, but wait. Because you know what happened to Abraham when he didn't wait? He created a whole other nation than he was supposed to, and they're still fighting with the chosen people today. Because he didn't wait on God. I don't want that legacy. I want to be the one who waited on God for his best, even though it's hard. Sometimes, from day to day. He talks about the grain of mustard seed because see, the mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds. But when you plant it and you watch it grow, it grows one of the biggest trees. Like proportionately to the size of the seed, there's no possible way in our human finite minds that we can comprehend that it would grow a tree that big but it does and that's what God is comparing our faith to he's saying if you ask for faith I will give it to you as you need it I think similar things can be said of grace you look at people dealing with certain things and we say how could they deal with that People look at me and they say, how do you deal with your situation? Sometimes it's minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. But you see, I'm not giving your grace. You're not giving my grace. But we can all say his grace is sufficient. For his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Okay, in our final section, we've talked so far about Jesus giving a warning to false teachers in verses 1 and 2. In verses 3 and 4, we talked about forgiveness. In verses 5 and 6, we talked about increasing our faith. And then, as we finish, well, first let's go to, the, to a cross-reference, Mark 9, 24. Mark 9, 24. And as you turn in there, I will give you the final point which is Jesus is going to talk about faithfully doing our duty for God. And we'll get into that in just a moment after we read our cross-reference.
Mark 9:24. If anybody has that, they can read it for us. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And you know, sometimes we have to pray that prayer. It's not always about having this enormous store of faith on which to draw. You know, I was listening to a to a podcast of a national radio show called The Wally Show. If you ever get a chance, you might want to give it a listen. Some of you would not necessarily appreciate it. He takes a slightly different approach to things than a lot of people would. Calls himself the needle for the Christian bubble. But there is some really neat things in there. One of the things he was talking about this week was suffering. And he talked about how he appreciates it when people are vulnerable and they are honest with their feelings. And he talked about how when Stephen Curtis Chapman, several years ago, his son was backing out of the driveway and accidentally ran over his daughter and his daughter went to be with the Lord. I can't imagine the devastation for her parents or for her brother that they have to live with that reality. But they didn't come out and and give the platitudes. They didn't say, well, God is good and he will take care of us and leave it at that. No, they said, we're fighting with God. We're wrestling with God. They knew ultimately that he was good and they proclaimed that boldly, but they were wrestling with God and they were willing to say, we're crying out to God and asking him the reasons and we don't always know the answers. And I'm so glad to have people that I can be honest with about that in my own life because so often and I do this too so I'm not saying that I'm not guilty but so often we just want to fix whatever problem it is we want to give the easy rote answer sometimes you just need someone to sit with you and pray for you and cry with you I remember four years ago when Annika Veenstra passed away in a car accident. Some of you may know who she is. My dad went to the funeral home and he said to her parents, I have no words. All I can do is cry with you. He didn't try to tell them how it was going to be better. He didn't try to tell them how God was going to be glorified, how God had a plan, even though we knew that to be true. He just cried with them. That stuck in my mind. Because sometimes that's what we need. We just need someone to cry with us. We don't necessarily need the solution of the moment. But anyway, we're going to get into this final part. Verses 7 through 10. Jesus says, But which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him by and by, when he has come in from the field, go and sit down to meat? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I sup, and gird thyself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterwards thou shalt eat and drink. 
Does he think that the servant, because he did the things that were commanded, does, does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded of him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all these things which are commanded, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. And this is kind of a difficult passage because I do believe God rewards us for doing his will. But I think what Jesus is getting at is what did the Pharisees always do? They walked around and they listed everything they did for the Lord and they said, this is what I do all the time. Remember he said the Pharisee and the publican went up to the temple and the Pharisee said, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of everything I possess. I I do all the law. And the publican said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's the prayer that Jesus said. That's the man that Jesus said went back to his house justified. Because the justification doesn't come from any works that we do. Our works show our justification. They show the world our justification, hopefully. But they're not the cause of it. They're the result of it. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has before ordained that we should walk in him, in them. But what happens before that? For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. When we get the grace of God right, then the works can pour out of that. Turn to my buddy, the Apostle Paul, again in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Philippians 3, 8 and 9. I will just go ahead and read this one. It says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteous, which is of God, by faith. Paul had everything. If if GQ was around in that day, Paul kind of would have been on the cover. He, he was everything that you wanted a man to be in a worldly sense. He says in another passage, I was the Pharisee of the Pharisee. I was the best of the best. I kept the law better than almost anyone else on the face of the earth. And yet he still realized that he was the chief of sinners. 
It's interesting that the closest, closer he got to God, the less he thought of himself. He said, I'm the least of the apostles early on in his ministry. And in his last letter to Timothy, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. And yet, God used him to change the course of the early church, to minister to others, to leave a legacy that was such that when he was leaving one of the villages that he left, and he knew that he wouldn't be back again, and they knew he wouldn't be back again, they wept, and they said, Paul, stay with us longer. We don't want you to leave. But he said that he had to leave to do what God was calling him to do. So, all our boasting should be in Jesus Christ. There's a song right now on the radio by a group called Big Daddy Weave that is called My Story. And I really like it because it, it says, if I told you my story, you would hear hope. You would hear victory. And then at the end it says, to tell you my story is to tell of him. My, my friends, to tell you my story is to tell of him. Without him, I would be, of all men, most miserable. I don't comprehend in any fiber of my being right now how anybody walks through this life without him. Because even with him, it can sometimes be a struggle, but he never lets go. And I'm so very thankful for that. I want to ask you, have you thought about these responsibilities? Have you thought about how important it is to impart upon the next generation the truths of the scripture? We read in Judges chapter 1 that there arose a generation that knew not God nor his works to the children of men. And I think we're experiencing that generation right now in the United States of America. A generation that doesn't know God. A generation that even when in the church is making compromise after compromise. Even some of the Christian churches are spoon-feeding milk when we should be eating meat. Because we need to be aware that we're in a war. But it's a war that we can win. I wonder if we might 
seeing number 250 in the red book. In times like these, you need a savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure, be very sure, your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Listen to the chorus. This rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Any other rock. You know, people want to know why there are so many problems in America today or around the world. It's because we look every other direction than up at the one who has the answers. We say, oh, if the police had better training, or, or if we just tried to get along, or if we did such and such. But the minute you say, well, I know a God who has the answers, people are like, take your God and leave. And they want to know why things are the way they are. It's because God created things with an order. He had a plan. And if we follow it, he will honor us as we honor him. And if we don't, there's no room for his blessing. So let's sing this song. And hopefully it will be an encouragement to us that Jesus is always the answer.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the solid rock, that you sent the answer in Jesus Christ. You think of Peter and John in the book of Acts when people were asking how this lame man who had been lame for 40 years was healed. And they said, if you are asking by whose power and by what authority this man stands before you whole, be it known unto you all that it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this man walks before you. And then instead of rejoicing, the people whipped them and put them in prison and told them never to preach in the name. They saw physical proof of his power and they still were against him. Lord, we have the same thing here today. Lord, we we pray that you would help us to have renewed hearts for the lost, renewed hearts for prayer, that you would gird us up Hold us in the everlasting arms and be with us as we go throughout our days. Guide and direct us in the choices that we make as we in part determine the future of the next generation. Thank you for those that we can influence and for those that influence us for the kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.